I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Gail Walensky, an economist and senior fellow at Project HOPE who directed the Medicare and Medicaid programs from 1990 to 1992. Dr. Walensky has written a perspective article on possible directions for bipartisan Medicare reform. Dr. Walensky, you outline a few major areas of overlap between at least some Democrats and some Republicans, such as raising the eligibility age for Medicare to 67, tying benefits to income level, limiting spending growth to the gross domestic product plus 1%, reforming health care delivery, and moving away from fee-for-service payment. How solid and, and how big are, are these areas of potential agreement? The question about how solid the agreement is, is harder to tell. What I've noticed is that both Republicans and Democrats have included many or all of these components in some of their proposals. And it's that overlap uh, that led me to identify these as major areas of agreement between at least some of the Democrats and some of the Republicans uh, who are proposing uh, Medicare reform. Uh, So each of these elements uh, can be seen uh, and uh, therefore at least represents a position of acceptance by some leaning proponents uh, in their parties, but certainly not by all individuals. And if all these changes were implemented, how big a difference would it make? Well, there's really two pieces to that. The first is that if all of them were implemented, uh, that would have a significant effect. Uh, But some of them are much more important than others. Uh, The increasing the eligibility age to 67 and tying benefits to income level uh, are somewhat smaller, uh, although the income level, uh, depending on how you income relate, uh, the benefits uh, may not be so small. There's no question that limiting spending growth to the GDP plus 1%, reforming uh, how care is delivered, and moving away from fee-for-service could have huge effects on Medicare spending. Speaking of limiting growth to GDP plus 1%, what are the possible mechanisms to do that? And is there agreement on any of those possible mechanisms? The major ways that people have talked about uh, limiting the spending is either through a mechanism of direct price controls on the services provided under Medicare, uh, that's using the so-called Independent Payment Advisory Board that's part of the Affordable Care Act uh, and that the President has referenced. That is one strategy. Uh, And a second strategy uh, involves using premium support, uh, which has been now proposed uh, both by Congressman Ryan Uh, and uh, Senator Wyden in terms of their joint efforts, uh, but earlier by uh, well-known Democrats such as Alice Rivlin and and other individuals. And in that case, the limit on spending uh, occurs as a result of how you set the subsidies. Reforming the delivery of care is probably the most abstract of the concepts that you raise. Do the parties agree on what kinds of reforms are desirable? in care delivery? It depends how uh, uh, how high a level of uh, discussion you, uh, you begin to have in terms of how much agreement there is. 
most knowledgeable people agree that the incentives currently embedded uh, in healthcare in general, but particularly in Medicare, are not helpful. Uh, reimbursement rewards doing more and more complex procedures rather than uh, improving a patient's health and health outcomes. There's uh, no reward provided for higher quality, uh, and there's certainly no reward provided uh, for efficiency. So there is widespread agreement that we need to change the incentives that are involved, and we also need uh, to encourage more care coordination, uh, both because the patients on Medicare frequently uh, are, um, are experiencing chronic diseases, sometimes complex uh, chronic diseases, and we need to find a way to encourage that kind of care coordination as well as reward the kind of behavior uh, we would like to see result from the care that is delivered. The rub is how exactly do we get there, uh, and operationally, what does it mean to change those incentives? Um, that kind of specificity uh, does not uh, produce widespread agreement, but there is surprising agreement uh, about the um, uh, the difficulties of the current incentive system that we use uh, in Medicare and the urgent need to change those incentives so that we encourage the kind of behavior we'd like to see. Broadly speaking, the kinds of areas of agreement you're talking about would lead to compromises between the parties. Historically, has Medicare been an area where parties uh, did compromise? Have they been willing to compromise? Well, painfully, not in recent history, or at least not very often in recent history. And, of course, we are currently in that most partisan of periods that we experience uh, every four years at least with a, a presidential election and the by-year elections as well. But even during uh, some of our recent uh, partisan periods, we have been able to achieve uh, some agreement about changes to be made in Medicare. The kinds of changes that I'm describing, however, uh, would require a, a lot more bipartisanship uh, than we have seen recently. Uh, my assumption is as the financial pressures continue to grow as a result of the retirement of the baby boomers, it will push members of Congress and the Congress with the administration to look for ways that they can agree on to fix this program, uh, if not right after the election, uh, then uh, within the next three or four years, because the pressure that will come from the continuing retirement uh, of the 78 million baby boomers is going to produce incredible amount of stress on the system. You mentioned the Ryan Wyden proposal, which is, of course, a, a bipartisan uh, effort. Is it, in your mind, viable? I like it very much in terms of the general outline uh, that these two members of Congress uh, have proposed. Uh, I'm a, a believer in uh, premium support as a mechanism to try to help both introduce innovations uh, and to encourage uh, new delivery systems as well as to uh, involve seniors in some of the decisions that go on. There are a lot of uh, specifics that have not yet been specified uh, in the Wyden-Ryan proposal, uh, and that's, of course, only to be expected given the stage that it's in. It was, to me, uh, 
promising, encouraging that even during this current election period, there was a willingness uh, by a Republican and a Democrat uh, to make uh, this rather bold proposal and to make it jointly. Do you think it can get broad bipartisan support? Well, we won't know because it's certainly not going to get broad bipartisan support before the election. Uh, They recognize that as well. It will depend in part on the kind of message that the public sends uh, after the November election. Um, we'll, we'll see what that new Congress uh, looks like. Uh, it is disturbing to me uh, the longer we have our um, election cycles, uh, the more partisan the rhetoric seems to get. Uh, and that makes coming together after the election uh, even harder uh, than it might otherwise be. But that is, at least right now, uh, the nature of our political process. You note in your article that Medicare spending, like all health care spending, is currently growing unusually slowly, partly because of the recession, of course. In another perspective article, White and Ginsburg argue that this slowdown is actually not a fluke given ongoing cuts to reimbursement rates and the provisions of the ACA that are related to payment reform. Do you buy that argument? Are are you encouraged by it? I think it's way too early to make that judgment. Uh, There is no question that if the uh, reductions in payment that are embedded in the legislation are actually all implemented over the course of the decade, it will slow down spending substantially Although, uh, once you include the retirement of the baby boomers, the actual aggregate growth uh, in Medicare spending on a yearly basis will still be quite substantial, uh, 6.6%. But the actuary has raised some concerns about whether or not uh, the kind of, of reductions in payment that were included in the Affordable Care Act can be implemented without causing significant impairments to uh, access. The actuaries also, in a recent article, commented that the slowdown is greater than had been expected, uh, and he's not sure why exactly it's occurring, and as a result, uh, is reticent about predicting that it will continue in the future. So it looks a bit promising now. It's nice to have some uh, positive news, but I think it's way, way too early uh, to assume that uh, we have turned some corner and that it is going to be better going forward for some uh, undefined period of time. We'll see in another two or three years. After all, this is early 2012. The implementation uh, of the Affordable Care Act is really just in its early phases. Turning to another aspect of of the act, in a third uh, perspective article, Cutler and Gosh look at two different approaches to payment reform, bundling payments by episodes of care, bundling payments by patients. And they conclude that the episode-based bundling might save slightly less money, but it would also encourage efficiency in treating conditions on which spending is high, regardless of whether it's in a high-spending or a low-spending region of the country. Do you see that as a promising approach? It's an interesting uh, issue that they have raised, not without its own challenges as well. Uh, It is certainly far better than what we do now, uh, which particularly for physicians uh, is to reimburse physicians on the most micro of units, the uh, seven or or 8,000 codes that are uh, part of the CPT codes. 
So going to uh, a bundle payment uh, is a vast improvement. As they indicate, uh, it does raise a question about whether or not you might have some uh, concern about volume of episodes that would result uh, if you move to an episode-based payment that you don't have if you actually pay an amount per person. But you have to be careful on the amount per person. You want to be sure you don't have incentives to skimp. Uh, and it has led some people uh, to suggest uh, the best of all might be uh, neither a purely capitated system nor an episode-based payment, uh, but to have a blend between fee-for-service uh, and a capitated system. Having said that, uh, the episode-based payment is uh, way better than what we have now, and, and so part of it will depend on uh, what looks like it can be implemented uh, relatively easily and what can be sold politically. Uh, both capitation or episode-based payments uh, are vastly better than what we've got now. Finally, we have two perspective articles on the Medicare Advantage program and the lessons that it might offer for Medicare reform. How do you rate Medicare Advantage as a, a market-based solution for Medicare? Are there important lessons that we can take from it? The most important uh, is that if you put as many constraints on a program as you do on uh, the Medicare Advantage program, we shouldn't be surprised uh, if the outcomes aren't exactly uh, what we had in mind. Uh, there are many problems uh, with the current Medicare Advantage program. Uh, most importantly, uh, it's not set up to save the government money. We shouldn't be surprised that it doesn't. Uh, save the government money. If you want to have a competitive bid uh, and see what you could do to lower spending, you've got to have traditional Medicare uh, also part of this uh, program. And you can't force any savings or all savings uh, to have to be returned in the form of uh, greater benefits. But it does show uh, that at least on some of the not very well-defined measures uh, of uh, quality that are mostly process, unfortunately, uh, that these plans can do uh, pretty well, uh, frequently better than uh, traditional Medicare. I think probably the major lesson that I take away from uh, the Medicare Advantage experiences is that you have to be very careful how you design the program uh, so that it can do what you want it to do. Uh, and you need to make sure that it occurs on an even playing field in terms of the regulatory burdens, in terms of the quality metrics uh, that are uh, proposed, in, in terms of the um, uh, advertising or marketing uh, rules that are in place. Uh, for many years, the, the constraints have only been on Medicare Advantage, uh, and I think in part uh, it reflects this long-held bias that you didn't have to worry so much if it was traditional fee-for-service Medicare, and that reflects, unfortunately, our long-held bias that more is going to be better than less, so we don't have to worry about it uh, if the incentives are to do more. Uh, but actually, uh, what we need to worry about uh, is how the patient fares in terms of uh, the medical outcomes uh, and whether or not care is being provided uh, in an efficient and effective way. Uh, and we need to have the kind of metrics that will help us see whether or not that's the case. Uh, the people running the program, the physicians and hospitals uh, providing services, and the patients who are using uh, that care. 
Um, and we have done a not very good job in terms of allowing that to happen. Thank you, Dr. Walensky.